I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England, C.S. Lewis. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, catch good vibes, and be inspired by engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are united. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hello, thanks for listening. Today's show is entitled Notes from an Atheist. We have three very different stories of atheists who found faith. I know if you're an atheist, you might be thinking they're all morons. Well, one of them is Alistair McGrath, who holds a PhD in molecular biophysics. He teaches science, philosophy, and theology at Oxford University. I'm thinking he may just be a little bit smarter than me. We've also added a page to our website called The Notebook. This page is packed with resources for skeptics, atheists, and seekers alike. You can find that at thinktwicetv.com notebook. Now let's get right into our stories. When I was studying sciences at high school, I loved science. I thought this is really wonderful. I also felt, look, this thing called religion is just anti-rational, anti-scientific nonsense. I mean, who, who believe this kind of thing? I think when I went up to Oxford University to study science properly, I did chemistry as an undergraduate and then did research in molecular biophysics, I began to realize that things were much more complicated than that. I think one of the things I began to realize was that by its very nature, science was unable to answer a whole range of questions about meaning and purpose and identity. I think I began to realize that although science was wonderful, it had its limits and that I wanted to go beyond those limits. In fact, more than that, that if you're a human being, you are going to ask these deeper questions which science just can't answer unless it goes beyond its own natural and right limits. And it seemed to me that either I had to say this is just nonsense or there is something there which science can't get access to and I need to discover this. And my initial assumption had been that atheism was just right and Christianity was simply wrong, superstition, nonsense. But as I began to look at Christianity more seriously, I began to realize it gave me this way of looking at things. That's what theory is. It's a way of beholding, a way of seeing nature, which actually made far more sense than my atheism. And I eventually moved away from atheism and embraced Christianity and discovered to my delight, it gave me this way of looking at the world that made sense of science. It gave me a motivation for studying science, but also opened up a much bigger vision of reality, which answered not simply cognitive questions about how the world functioned, but these deeper existential questions of what the world meant, what I meant. And it just seemed to me that really science and faith can come together in a meaningful way. That's certainly my discovery. Now, I know many would say, well, look, Science answers all of our questions. Actually, it doesn't. It answers some questions very well, but there are huge areas, really important areas, where it cannot speak. So to speak, science, in effect, raises questions sometimes which transcends its ability to answer them. And these are important questions that we need answers to. So I'm a scientist. I believe in God. I find these to enrich each other. And my feeling is there'll be many others who'll make that discovery one day or the other. Theology, 
Faith enriches our vision of reality. It gives us something that makes sense of life, makes sense of the world, and we all need that if we're going to lead our meaningful lives in this strange world that we find ourselves placed in. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Come see us at thinktwicetv.com. My, uh, my journey to faith is a long, long road. Jesus never even existed for me. And not only was he not the son of God, but he wasn't even a real person. And, um, and that, that disbelief lasted a long time, uh, about 30 years uh, of disbelief. The issue was really an intellectual one. You know, science, science could tell us everything we needed to know. It could tell us how life started. It could tell us how we all evolved from single cell organisms. It could tell us everything that we needed to know. And so there really wasn't any room for God in there for me. Um, you know, there just wasn't. Um, but, you know, a few years ago, um, I watched my life really disintegrate in a way that I, I would not have guessed and I certainly would never have hoped for. Um, and when I was at rock bottom, I think as with so many people, I started to look for God again. I started to see, you know, maybe there's something out there. I, I did my own research, if you will. I did my own homework. Um, I started reading almost anything I could get my hands on, um, you know, uh, books about uh, how to reconcile what I, science taught me versus what the Bible was teaching me, things like the science of God or the language of God, you know, and, and how, how should I think about evolution and how should I think about creation. Um, I read a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which made an incredibly compelling argument for the truth of Scripture using entirely non-biblical sources and evidence. So, so between doing my homework and coming to grace, you know, the day came when I finally gave my life to, to Jesus. Um, I, I sat there and I confessed my sins. My body literally tingled. The hair on my arm stood on end. I got goosebumps. Um, and I cried, I cried and cried as I told my wife and my friends what I had done. Um, and I know, I know that it wasn't all the reading. That's not what led me to salvation. I know that it was the Holy Spirit working in me uh, that called me to where I was supposed to be. All my doubts did not go away overnight. Um, you know, there's still, I still see things or I hear things or I read things. Sometimes I hear things in the Bible or I hear things, you know, from, from out in the world that bring question into my mind. And you know, the Bible calls on us to be prepared to defend your faith, right? Ready yourself to argue for your faith. You know, if that's where you are, if you're a believer who has doubts or if you're a non-believer uh, who is questioning or seeking, that's okay. You know, I would just encourage you to dig in, go do your homework, go see what's out there, go read the Bible, try to understand them and try to get answers for them. It will make your faith stronger, not weaker. And God, he can handle it. Go look at other sources and see what they say about what the Bible says. But mostly, listen, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he's saying to you and how he's prompting you. Because I think in the end, he will call you to where you're supposed to be too. Share the experience of our incredible true life stories at thinktwicetv.com forward slash our stories. I admire people, Christians, who 
genuinely never struggle with doubts and questions. I envy them. I wish I had that gift of faith, but I've never been that person. And even now that I've kind of cleared up the bigger questions of who God is or whether God exists or what that means about Jesus, I still struggle all the time. I am a preacher's kid and a preacher's grandkid and a preacher's great-grandkid, and so I'm a fourth-generation preacher. And I had no intentions of being one, but I was steeped in it. I was raised in it. It's in my blood somehow, and now I'm grateful for it. Well, this is me here, and I think in this picture I am 10 years old. I was raised in a really tiny town, and I loved most things about my upbringing. I think one of the um, byproducts of growing up in a small town and being so steeped in Bible Belt religion um, for all of the good qualities that come along with that, some of the things that come along with it too are um, propensity in these churches to be unwelcoming about doubts uh, and questions. And if you ask the wrong question, you risk being alienated, really. When I was 18, I left my small town and I left my dad's church for the first time in my life. And I went away to college to explore, not just an education, but I knew I needed a place where I could ask some of the questions that I had kept below the surface for most of my life. And I landed in a couple of philosophy classes where I developed just a deep admiration and respect for the professor there. And I remember all the things he used to say about how ludicrous it is to believe the things Christians believe, that a book that was written over 2,000 years time um, by human hands was supposed to be somehow literally infallible uh, without any mistakes or contradictions. I decided at some point in my freshman year of college that I wasn't gonna be a Christian anymore because being a Christian meant being a fool or being um, less than uh, intellectual or anti-intellectual. I didn't want to be that. I wanted to think through my questions and the only people that really welcomed my deepest questions and fears and uncertainties were people that weren't in the pews on Sunday mornings. And so call it a phase or whatever you want, there was a definite season in my life that I was an avowed atheist. I think I felt betrayed. I felt like everything I had given my young life to, all the hours in church and all the abstinence and all of the not partying and not fitting in and all of it was for nothing. It was a time that was full of, full of pain and um, a sense of abandonment, I think. So this is us as freshmen in college, uh, singing show tunes with the college choir together. I think a month after this, I proposed uh, to you, and uh, little did you know that you would be engaged to someone who wasn't even sure he believed in God anymore for a while. <laughs> that was a tough time for us. When I think about my journey back to Christianity, it was uh, a, a journey of, more than 10 years. It wasn't, I wish I could say I had one of those experiences on the mountaintop with God that cleared everything up. 
if I'm honest, it's a journey that I'm still on. I'm still journeying back uh, to Christianity, even though I'm a church planter and a pastor now. This was the church that started my journey back to Jesus, really. I mean, I was uh, not even really a believer when I started pastoring this church, and it sounds really crazy. But these people just loved each other so completely and with no conditions and no qualifiers that they showed me what the love of Jesus is about. When I was a senior in college, the supervisor of this church in the Methodist system called me and said, I need you to go take care of this church for six months. And I said, I, I don't think it's a good idea. I'm an atheist now. <laughs> and he said, it's just for six months. I know your dad uh, very well, and you can just recycle his sermons if you need to. But we have a real shortage of pastors, and this church will face a crisis if nobody's there to, to lead them. And so he said, it pays uh, $16,000 a year, and it comes with a house that you and your wife can live in. And, you know, I was making 12000 a year selling diamonds at service merchandise, which doesn't even exist anymore. And uh, so I, uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. Remember how people from the church would just walk in mm -hmm. unannounced? Yes. Not even knock? Yes, uh, all the time. No matter what. <laughs> uh, that was Mooringsport, Louisiana. But... Um, it was, it was an awesome experience. Most Christians would assume that I would look back on that season in my life as a, a dark time, a dark chapter in my journey. And that's not how I look at it at all. I hope every Christian goes through a season where he or she can wrestle with doubts with the same uh, authenticity and ferocity that, that I was able to during that season of my life. I, I don't regret it at all. When I look at how the story Houston developed in our first year, I see God's wisdom in it because I look at my neighborhood, Interloop Houston, and I see how badly the people who live and work around this area hunger for a place where their questions really are welcome where they can have community, where they can make friends, where they can be accepted and know they're loved, but at the same time, not have all the assumptions or religiosity of maybe a typical church experience. If we can create a culture where people know God is strong enough to shoulder their questions and God can take their criticisms, and they can explore and find God and Jesus on their own terms, I think that's what God has us here to do. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy heart's Share the experience of our incredible true life stories at thinktwicetv.com forward slash our stories. Life, hope, and truth for Generation Now. This is Hashtag Gospel. Relevant, inspiring, and straight to the point. The gospel and what it means for us. Superhero stories captivate us. They're stories of good and evil. Where the hero steps in at just the right moment to selflessly save those who can't save themselves. This is why the story of God's people is so captivating. Throughout generations, they were oppressed and enslaved. Eventually, they suffered under Roman rule. They were in need of a hero, 
They wanted a leader to save them and establish a physical kingdom on earth. Their prophets foretold of a great Messiah that would come and break the chains of their oppression. And then in walks Jesus, a humble servant preaching good news of freedom from sin. Sin? Wait a second. What about Rome? What about their suffering? What they didn't understand and what we often fail to understand is that more than being saved from others, we need saving from ourselves. From the sin and brokenness that runs rampant in us, like a disease that threatens our very lives and the lives of those around us. It's the stuff we're not capable of repairing, no matter how hard we try. We can't save ourselves. We need a rescuer, a hero, to save us from the inside out. He wasn't the kind of hero they were looking for, but he was the hero they needed. This is Hashtag Gospel. View each message as an amazing animated video at HashtagGospel.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short, single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. Richard Nixon got carried away with the excitement in 1969 when Apollo astronauts first landed on the moon. It's the greatest day since creation, crowed the president, until Billy Graham solemnly reminded him of Christmas and Easter. By any measure of history, Graham was right. The Galilean, who in his lifetime spoke to fewer people than would fill just one of the many stadia that Graham has filled, changed the world more than any other person. He introduced a new force field in history and now holds the allegiance of a third of all the people on earth. Today, Jesus is so important that people even use his name to curse by. How strange it would sound when a, if when a businessman missed a golf putt, he yelled, Thomas Jefferson! Or if a plumber screamed, Mahatma Gandhi, when he smashed his finger with a pipe wrench. We can't get away from this man, Jesus. More than 1,900 years later, said H.G. Wells, a historian like myself who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him. By this test, Jesus stands first. Jesus isn't simply the dividing point of history, but he stands as the fork in the road for every human being. He is the dividing point of life. He's the dividing point of my life. I tell you, he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Jesus came to answer man's age-old question, does God care about what is happening down here? Do we really matter to him? Does he know of us? Job, in his misery, brazenly flings the accusation at God, you don't know what it's like down here. Or to quote him more accurately, do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see as a mortal sees? You can hear God backstage saying, yeah, and 
you don't know what it's like back here either. God speaks to Job in a whirlwind, but he has spoken to us through his son. God found out what life is like in the confines of planet Earth. Jesus got acquainted with grief in person in a brief troubled life not far from the dusty plains where Job travailed. Of the many reasons for the incarnation, surely one answer was to Job's accusation, do you have eyes of flesh? For a time God did. And he's spoken to us, not through a whirlwind like Job, but out of the human larynx of a Palestinian Jew. I understand incarnation a little better after owning and managing a 50-gallon saltwater aquarium uh, for a number of years. Um, if you've ever kept saltwater fish, you know that it's no easy task, or at least it wasn't 30 years ago when I had one in my office at the church where I pastored. When I went to the district office, I couldn't keep it up because I traveled too much, and you can't leave saltwater fish for days at a time. They die. Uh, I had to change at that time two-thirds of the water every month. I had to maintain carefully the ammonia and pH levels. The water had to be run through a fairly sophisticated filter. I had to be mindful of the kind of fish I kept in the same tank. You know, I couldn't have aggressive personalities among shy ones. You'd think that fish would be grateful of everything I provided them. I thought that way until I until I saw Finding Nemo, and then I felt a little guilty and thought, oh no, what did I, what did I do, you know? But even after all my loving care, keeping the water pure, dropping food in from the sky every day, when I opened the lid, the shy fish still ran for cover. All with the exception of the lionfish. He was my favorite. And um, I fed him goldfish. And the kids after service would all gather in my office and we'd feed goldfish to the lion and we called them Christians and it was great fun. <laughs> we all love the arena at heart, you know. <laughs> to my fish, I was deity. I was too large for them. My actions too incomprehensible. You know, to change their perception, I'd have to become a fish and speak to them in fish language. I don't know, what, I don't know if they have a language, but, but I can tell you that a human becoming a fish is nothing compared to God becoming a baby. And yet this is what happened at Bethlehem. The artist became part of the picture. The playwright became an actor in his own play. God wrote a story only using real characters on the pages of real history. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain, and Mary embraced both. She was the first person to accept Jesus on his terms at great personal cost. We don't have to wonder any longer if what happens on this dirty little tennis ball of a planet matters to the rest of the universe. It matters to God. The most famous person I've ever met was Dennis Rodman. He was arguably professional basketball's greatest defensive player and a five-time NBA champion. Nicknamed the Worm for the way he would shimmy, wiggle, and stretch his way to the rebounds. 
at an exhibition game in Detroit, he signed my basketball card and exchanged pleasantries with us. Some kids at school doubted me, but it didn't matter. I knew that I'd met the superstar, and I could also prove it because I had his authentic signature, and it was a shared experience with my friends and family. In the same way, we can wrangle about the ever-changing theories of science and philosophy, but I know what I've experienced, and no one can tell me otherwise. When I finally opened my heart and mind to Jesus, I encountered a real and living God. His signature was added to my life. My friends and family also shared my experience when they saw the night and day changes in me. You can hear about my story on episode 8 from Darkness to Light. Now, I know some will assume that I blindly follow a church or fairy tales, but then again, you know what they say about assumptions. It wasn't blind faith. I studied you know, world religions, science, history, evidence for the afterlife, and yes, the Bible. I also started praying, God, if you're real, I want to know. What was revealed completely changed everything for me. Now, one last point about finding truth. God is not simply an ideal or theory to be argued about. He's an actual being with characteristics and principles. And one of his primary standards is that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I'm not saying check your brain at the door, but what I am saying is at least intellectually wipe off your shoes at the welcome mat and show a little respect. You may just be surprised at what you find. I've listed lots of links, videos, and resources for seekers, atheists, and skeptics alike at our website. Go to thinktwicetv.com notebook. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Come see us at thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. This project is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association, revealing the love and power of God through media. MediaMessengers.org. If you like the show, follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at MMessengers, on Instagram at Media Messengers, or subscribe to our growing YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media Messengers. And please, please, Help us reach more people by sharing this podcast. Lastly, check the show notes for links and resources. God bless.